Tuesday, February 28th marks one year since we launched the DSR Daily Brief. We're showing our thanks by providing you with our best sale price ever on membership. From now through March 4th, visit the dsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DAILYBRIEF to receive 50% off our regular membership price of $50 per year or $5 per month. Members receive access to bonus content, an ad-free listening experience, exclusive blog posts, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. This is a one-time only offer, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DAILYBRIEF to receive 50% off. Thank you for your support. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will discuss the issues facing our country as we head into another election cycle and try to get our leaders, try, keyword being, to say and do something about them. Today, we're going to cover a number of topics. In preparing for this episode, Norm and I were discussing a pretty in- interesting week of hearings. You don't normally hear that phrase out of uh, people in general, but uh, it is absolutely true, not just with the new Congress, but with the plenty, kind of plentitude of topics that we have in hearings. So we wanted to hit, especially in discussing just some of the things that struck our attention this week. There were subcommittee hearings on the COVID response. There were hearings around China, a hearing around Merrick Garland, a judiciary hearing around the Equal Rights Amendment, and several others. But I think, uh, Norm, it's safe to say that what caught your and my our collective attention was actually something related, but also not necessarily related to a hearing that came out of a Wall Street Journal uh, breaking article earlier this week related to a potential report from the Department of Energy, for which we have not seen, but for which sections or at least reports were leaked to the Wall Street Journal stating that with low confidence that they felt it was more plausible that there was a lab leak responsible for the COVID-19 global pandemic. I'm paraphrasing, but we'll go into some of the words that were mentioned by citation. That then followed by FBI Director Christopher Wray on Fox News, which of course we can opine at length about the outlet that was chosen, very sounding and appearing very confident, discussing that it was very likely an, a lab leak and that even though the quote-unquote intelligence community has not made up its mind that the FBI had credible, credible evidence of a lab leak. So with that, we hope we can at least touch, if we have time, Norm, touch on that. I want to kick off with that with you and then maybe get into the Merrick Garland hearing and see where time takes us. And then for our member section, if we can, whichever hearing that we, we didn't get to, we'll talk a little bit more, maybe the ERA, because I paid attention to that. And uh, spoiler alert, people talking about the Equal Rights Amendment on the right boiled it down to abortion, which is why I uh, want to spend some time on that today. So Norm, I want to get your thoughts to the week's events. So uh, I will say uh, at the outset, I am not a big fan of Christopher Ray, appointed by Trump and others a 10-year term. But for me, it goes back to 
when we had the hearing on Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court. And we had some devastating information out there, of course, about Kavanaugh's previous behavior. One of the deals that was cut that actually enabled that hearing to go forward was with a Democrat and Republican in the Senate, Jeff Flake, the Republican, and uh, the uh, senator from Delaware, Chris Coons, who got the FBI to agree to investigate all of the other potential allegations and witnesses to misbehavior by Kavanaugh. And what we learned afterwards is that the FBI didn't follow up with any of the calls that came into the hotline they set up, that we had credible witnesses calling the FBI saying they wanted to provide information and the FBI refused to do it. And in effect, Chris Ray basically bowed to what Donald Trump wanted instead of doing what the FBI had promised to do. That started it. Now we find, just on another front, that FBI agents fought with Justice Department prosecutors over whether to search Mar-a-Lago for classified documents after months of stonewalling and lying by Trump and his lawyers. And the FBI did not want to go in because they were afraid they would alienate Trump. It had nothing to do with obstruction of justice. All of this under Chris Ray, And then Chris Ray, as you said, Kavita, goes on Fox to say confidently that this was a lab leak. We will turn to you for the science as you are the expert here, but there are a couple of things we know. We know that of all the agencies involved in trying to find out what happened with COVID, and there are multiple ones, that there is no certainty that every assertion is made with low confidence, and that at this point, seven agencies in the government that have looked at this, five believe that it was coming from the live animal market in uh, Wuhan, and two, with low to moderate confidence, believe that it was a lab leak. And what we know that follows from that as we get into the hearing issue is the Republicans in the House are probably going to hold as many hearings on the China lab leak, even though nobody says it was deliberate, as they held on Benghazi. So we've got a lot to look forward to there and looking forward, it may be the wrong way to frame it. I actually do look forward to this because to be honest, I think that the only way we're going to get a discourse and dialogue is by looking forward, literally, both both literally and figuratively. So I'm, I'm okay with that. And I feel very comfortable that uh, on this lab leak, I can, I can say here, here we are first, you've heard it first on Words Matter podcast. Uh, I can say with confidence that we are never going to have a conclusive answer. It's just it's just the nature, and I will discuss why I feel so confident in this. So I will say that this started, just for history's context, this started as an original, I think, because the original messenger about this potential lab spillover and leak was President Trump himself. And it was wrapped into what Trump had been saying about other conspiracy theories, such as him quoting that this was a Chinese bioweapon that the virus was engineered. Those specific issues about this being um, a Chinese like engineered bioweapon had initially been debunked and had have still had very little scientific merit. So let me be clear, a lab leak or a spillover event from a lab is distinctly different from having a very purposefully tailored and engineered bioweapon. 
the bioweapon pieces, what the scientific and security community has felt very comfortable is not the likely cause of the event. Having said that, I think that many people dismissed even the idea of a lab link because of that original messenger issue. But there were, and I will say that this is something I've had to do a better job on. What we all should have done is just, you know, push Trump aside and kept on the potential front burner, a possibility of a lab link. By the way, a lot of the time frame for what this is, is remember early cases came out of Wuhan in December of 2019, reported in journals. And then that was at the same time now that we've had access to documents that we now know that in January and February 2020, that Matt Pottinger and some others who are very senior experts in security in China had actually offered forward memos saying that this was not bioengineered, but that they couldn't rule out the possibility of lab spillovers. And that, of course, that's always a possibility and that they needed more cooperation from the Chinese government. So fast forward, we've now had the World Health Organization, many other scientific communities that have in several reports from not just the United States, but again, other global security agencies, even in 2021, 2022, and then now earlier this year, have said that there is a possibility of anything from a natural spillover. What is and a natural spillover, to be clear, is a virus that is found in animal reservoirs, mainly in animals, carried, transmitted through animals. In this case, there was the possibility of a bat species that had been the animal reservoir and then spills over into transmission from a bat, for example, animal to human and then human to human. That's what we would call kind of a natural spillover event. This happens in a lot of viruses. But then the other part of that spectrum is a lab leak. And then there's a bunch of things probably somewhere in between there. The majority of the scientific community, and this has been published in 2022, has not all, but the majority of the scientific community has said that there is more evidence pointing towards a natural spillover. I would say it's about 60% of the scientific community voiced that opinion. That leaves a lot of room for a potential lab leak. What is a lab leak? I think this is also very important because that gets tossed around and it's not necessarily clear kind of what a lab leak is. And there's a lot that's read into that. Many of us, I used to work in kind of one of these like biohazard labs in my young career. And many of us have kind of watched lab leaks. They happen historically. I'm going to offer listeners for the little sake of science and I'll be brief. 1978, there was a lab leak of smallpox in England. That actually led, unfortunately, to a death of a young woman. 2007, a lab leak also in the United Kingdom of hand, foot, and mouth disease. And then another lab leak in the Netherlands just last year, 2022, of polio virus. So we never dismiss the lab leak scenario. They have occurred. In this case, the scientific evidence was so much more kind of on the side that there was this spillover event. Having said that, constantly because of this history of decades of lab leaks, anybody who's worked in lab, myself included, have kind of heard and learned about like the reforms and additional protective measures that we've been asking for. You probably recall, Norm, something called gain of function research, which is, which is research that the NIH and other world agencies do and research organizations to actually experiment in what we call high consequence pathogens, things like Ebola and things like anthrax and things like the COVID virus so that we can understand more about those viruses. That gain of function research is incredibly important for our national and global security. 
but we have been asking for more money for training, equipment, regulations of those labs, especially in countries that do not have that resource or infrastructure. So that takes us to today, where all we have, because none of us have seen this report, not you nor know myself, what we have are leaks of low confidence from the Department of Energy, which is actually one of eight agencies that are involved in not just investigating this potential of a lab leak in the United States and in the world, but also the Department of Energy does a lot of the standardization and regulation for our, our scientific labs in the United States. But it is one agency that does that. So we have one agency with a report that neither nobody has seen on eyes that is already deemed to be low confidence. And then we have an FBI lead who, for all credible purposes, why shouldn't we believe him? But you've laid out why who has now injected this into a conversation where nobody is looking or listening to the 10 minutes of facts that I laid out about histories of lab leaks and what we don't know and are now reaching this conclusion. So I'll stop there. That was your you know, 10 minutes of science that uh, maybe listeners could benefit from. But it's why I have, I, I've chastised myself for kind of dismissing what Trump had said. And I even keep on the potential of a lab leak but I don't read into that what I think that even when Christopher raises his words, connected, by the way, in that same interview, Norm, to China, he is really leaping people towards something that I think is like a weapon of mass destruction scenario. And that's how I interpreted it. That's from his words. I unfortunately think a lot of people will hear that. And that's not helping. Norm, your thoughts? I think it's really important that we do some depth on this and you're the person to do it. And that was a great explanation of the science. There are a couple of more things to say here. One is, yet again, the irresponsibility of our media, because there were headlines all over the place, not just in the Wall Street Journal, that basically set as fact that the Department of Energy said that this was a lab leak. Um, and instead of doing the appropriate thing, the news part of this, which is this one agency with low confidence and almost no context on that. Now, it's also important to note that we would have a better handle on this if the Chinese had cooperated. And what's been clear and what's, I think, exacerbating the problem here is the Chinese have stonewalled entirely and the people in the Wuhan lab who have close scientific and even personal connections with researchers in other places around the world, have stonewalled their colleagues and friends from elsewhere. We're not getting information. And while that's not an indication of culpability of any sort, and we should note here as well and emphasize, nobody's saying that the Chinese engineered this as a bioweapon. If it's a lab leak, it was an accident, a mistake, just like the ones you mentioned in the United Kingdom uh, and the Netherlands. But it's made matters worse. And all of this plays into the anti-China mood and attitude out there. I do have to add that one of our great national treasures, Jamie Raskin, in a hearing where this was discussed, pointed out as I believe it was Marjorie Taylor Greene, the ever-present Marjorie Taylor Greene, or it might have been uh, her uh, colleague Lauren Boebert, saying that Biden was cozying up to China and trying to uh, keep the American people from knowing what happened, pointing out that tw on 20 occasions after COVID emerged, 
Trump had offered praise for Xi and for the Chinese government and for the way they handled it as he was trying to downplay the virus and say there's nothing really to see here before he turned on a dime to turn this into a part of his broader anti-China rhetoric. But we can't separate out the lab leak from the larger antagonism towards China, which is bipartisan and which has serious implications for global relations going forward. You know, with all of that, I'll just come back to the fact that what Chris Ray said, given that the FBI itself has not said that they have high confidence or even moderate confidence, to go on Fox and do this was an irresponsible act by an FBI director who should not be there. It's not only that, but it's this gets to like the uh, decay of trust in government and agencies. So listen, Norm, you and I have spoken over the last three years about you know the CDC and, and the FDA and, and even under Donald Trump, like I've had incredible respect for like the I like to call it the authority of the institution. There's just something about it's it's why when you and I discuss the issues about the Supreme Court being politicized, it means so much to us because I know for a fact that you have deep respect. I've never said do away with the Supreme Court, do away with the government infrastructure. And yet we got pretty darn, we are pretty darn close to that in the Supreme Court, in this CDC, in this FDA, now in this FBI, in this Department of Energy, in this EPA, in this, the list goes on. We, you and I haven't even had a chance to talk about HHS and what is unfortunately happening. The front page article that I recommend all listeners to read online, I think it's not behind a paywall on child immigrant child labor in the United States that was in the Sunday kind of front above the fold at times with pressure from HHS to move children from the border and from detention facilities into foster situations, which were basically abusive exploits of their labor. So I will be the first to tell you that I lose faith in people and in agencies. But what has happened now is the decay in that public authority where I'm not even sure I can gain back some of that confidence that I would have had in the FBI's credible authority. And that's what makes me very sad because 99% of what comes out of these organizations really is of such an utmost quality. Just like I would believe that if you and I could have read the full or could read the full DOE report, you and I would read this very differently than what was leaked to the journal. I'm confident of that. We, I don't even know if you and I will have a chance to do it because it feels like now someone has won the argument by speculation and that that has now soured the entire thing. And what has that led to? That's led to the Commonwealth Fund. You and I have done some work with them. I, I, I have, I think you have too in the past. The Commonwealth Fund estimates that if we had avoided misinformation around vaccines and COVID specifically, that we probably could have saved anywhere from one to 3 million lives. And so when I think about that, that's why these things matter. That's why those words from these leaders matter. Question for you, Norm, you tend to have your ear to a lot of people like Jamie Raskin, people on both sides of the aisle. With Christopher Ray specifically, what are people asking for? I can't imagine that Democrats are comfortable with the fact that this is the head of our, you know, preeminent like security, one of our security forces or security agencies. What what um, is being done to what can be done about um, comments he made on Fox News as the head of an agency? You know, one of the things that should be done is the Senate should call him in for a hearing on this. And 
not only to ask about the judgment of going on Fox News to do this, but also to dig more deeply into um, why his assertions were so firm when the evidence is not, and maybe even to get a little bit more into the why there's so much, I wouldn't say disagreement, uncertainty in the intelligence community and across these agencies about what happened. It would not be a bad thing to do. The dilemma that exists here is, first, clearly, and this goes for a lot of the inspectors general and some others, the reluctance in the Biden White House to purge Trump people. I think they want to show that they're not, uh, they're bending over backwards to show that they're not just punishing enemies. Biden made a pledge during the uh, presidential campaign that he would, after you know Trump had manipulated inspectors general, that he was not going to fire inspectors general as Trump had done and put in flunkies. But he's kept in place, and this is particularly true in Homeland Security, terrible people who should not be there. Now, the dilemma with the FBI is that the Republicans are the ones leading the way to attack the FBI for its bias. And that gets back to what is, of course, a falsehood, that there was no Russian involvement in the 2016 campaign. And it is these agents were covering up and they believed all of the propaganda coming out. Of course, the reality that we know with the FBI is that if there is a problem with bias, it's a problem because the FBI has white supremacists and right-wingers, particularly in the New York office, who undermined Hillary Clinton's candidacy. And we know with the act of collusion of Rudy Giuliani, who said it publicly during the campaign. And we know that Ray is and his predecessor, Jim Comey, were scared to death of taking on these people. And Ray is the same. Now, I think Ray has more sympathy with them than did Comey more directly. But at some point, Democrats who don't want to criticize the FBI when the Republicans are going after the FBI are going to have to step up to the plate and Biden's going to have to do something about this or the headaches are going to continue. Yeah. And it's also just uh, to be to be like even more blunt about it. The NSC spokesman, whose name I'm forgetting on Monday, the day after the Wall Street Journal article, basically fielded at the front of the podium in the White House uh, a lot of questions about the lab leak. He was there to do briefings on the Middle East, as well as to obviously answer comments about the COVID lab leak. And he made a couple of statements that I thought was important. He said that the Department of Energy Um, along with the FBI. And this is before Chris Ray actually gave his interview to Fox News. But he made the comment that the Department of Energy was one of 18 organizations that Biden had tasked to take this whole of government approach to understanding more about COVID-19's origins. He also mentioned in that the FBI, obviously the NSC and a number of other HHS and departments were involved. What I think is was very clear, interestingly to me, Afterwards, um, Corinne Jean-Pierre, returning back to the podium, had a couple of questions uh, that she said, look, we've said we've made our you know, statement about this. But you could hear, and I think it was either the Reuters or one of the reporters trailing in the press room saying, but we don't have information. You know, we have a Wall Street Journal leak. We need more. You know, what, what is it that we know and we don't know? And I actually think that reflects the skepticism, just those questions not being answered. And I don't think Corinne could have answered them. 
because this is confidential material. The president probably hasn't even had like full access to this. But it does feel like we're we're seeing kind of Biden caught off guard or at least the administration getting caught off guard. And that, I think, is an ongoing theme that has disappointed me. Again, like the child labor, immigrant issues. Um, we're about to talk about Merrick Garland in a second. And, and just there's so many iterations of undermining Biden. This is something that will not have an answer in terms of the COVID lab leak. We will not get a 100% unanimous conclusion, definitive answer on this. Yet the fact that I'm telling this to people right now will not necessarily mitigate the, the uh, sense of pessimism about him and the sense that, well, Joe Biden couldn't have done it, but insert name here, candidate could. And I think that's what's disappointing uh, about the sequence of keeping in you know, folks from Trump or... Just one last comment that uh, you actually raised for me, Kavita, which is I'd love to know why the Chinese are stonewalling this, since we know that this was not some deliberate bioterror attempt. Is it that they know that the security measures at the Wuhan lab were weak enough and it would be embarrassing if that came out, even if they didn't, in fact, have a leak that caused this? Is it domestic consumption? They don't want the Chinese people to realize that this really originated in China. I don't know what the answer is there, but it's an interesting question since we know it's not covering up some nefarious plot. But with that, we had uh, Merrick Garland, for the first time in quite a while, appear in the Senate Judiciary Committee for what was supposed to be just the routine oversight hearing. And it was not a pleasant experience for him. He was attacked over and over by, among others, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and Louisiana's John Kennedy, the unfortunately named John Kennedy, who is no John F. Kennedy, on all kinds of grounds. For Ted Cruz, who berated him and interrupted him repeatedly to ask why there had been no prosecutions of the peaceful demonstrators who were outside Brett Kavanaugh's home under a law which is to guard against potential violence or violent threats. And Garland kept saying, I'm the first attorney general and the only one who sent out literally dozens of U.S. marshals to make sure that every Supreme Court justice was protected. And of course, the one instance where there was a threat of violence, he's being prosecuted. But Cruz didn't want to hear any of that. It was just basically a vicious diatribe. It wasn't much different with Hawley. And for Kennedy, it was asking about why the Justice Department was targeting parents who were just trying to get school boards to listen to their questions about the education of their kids. And Garland, of course, pointed out that all of that is protected under the First Amendment and that what the Justice Department was doing is going after people who had made threats of violence or conducted violent acts against government employees, including uh, on school boards. So this was another case of Republicans embarrassing themselves, playing to their base, but by exaggerating or lying about what the reality was. And mostly it was picking up on Fox News talking points 
And of course, at some point, we have to talk about the fact that Fox News knows that these talking points in so many instances are blatant lies. Yeah. And that's the other piece that uh, you and I can talk about Fox News and all the kind of ills. But what was interesting to me this week, and I mentioned to you that I, I paid attention to some hearings, literally listened in on them and in uh, our member content, we'll talk about the, maybe the ERA one because that struck a chord. However, I was disappointed. Norm, you know, I'm a pretty loyal MSNBC watcher, but I also switched. I do watch some Fox. I do switch to other channels. Lots of coverage, as you mentioned, uh, with those clips of Ted Cruz on Fox. But very little coverage that offered, I think. And you know what? People don't want to watch TV, or I've learned over the years, people don't want to watch TV to get like PowerPoints and charts and like a lot of technocratic details, but they want to feel like there's somebody who's like fighting their fight. And the reason I thought that you pointing out Jamie Raskin was really appropriate, I can kind of think of the number of times where I felt like Jamie Raskin has kind of eloquently laid out an argument for what was Merrick Garland supposed to do? You know, here's exactly like, what his job is. And here's exactly how he has gone above and beyond and doing some of these things, not without criticism, but certainly not to deserve these like barbs and attacks and just outright lies from the other side. I don't see enough of that. I see Jamie Raskin doing that. I saw AOC doing that for Ilhan Omar with some incredible like passion. But if you're watching other channels, do you know what I saw? I saw coverage of a murder trial that I have to be clear, like I just still do not to this day understand like what merits the majority of our television time being on that particular trial, despite its salacious details and fascinating, riveting conversations about, you know, whether you handled the chicken with gloves. And so I'm very confused about the state of media. <laughs> you, you've really struck a resonant chord here. I kept turning on to see whether there was news because these are news channels. <laughs> you know, CNN supposedly under its new regime is focusing on presenting news. And I mean, to be perfectly blunt, I don't give a shit about Murtaugh and this murder trial. I'm perfectly fine. I know it's a, a, it's a human interest story. This guy is clearly a scoundrel of the worst sort. Uh, his alibis are flimsy as could be. You want to, uh, every once in a while, have somebody on the scene reporting on what's going on in the trial, but to push everything else that's happening in the world aside and happening in the country aside to deal with this stuff, you know, round the clock, blanket coverage, um, apparently uh, they must have market research that shows that people are kind of drawn into trials. And of course, we know that the TV shows that evergreen and on for decades uh, are all about crime and uh, punishment, but you would hope there'd be more integrity in the news operations. Yeah, it's it's just a very, I mean, it really is true. Like this week was such a, like you and I rarely say like, great week for hearings, but it was something that you and clearly you and I had a lot of other things to do. And it really drove our attention because it covers so many themes. And yet again, Straight changing. And I was like, wait a minute. And I actually texted and, and won't name their names. I texted some of the senior producers at MSNBC who had shows that, you know, in those hours of the trial coverage, they said the same thing to me. They said in their kind of conversations with me, I said, I hate to be that person, but what is it that's making like 
our decision to cover. And I brought up, I said, I get that Law and Order is like the most popular show probably in like all of, you know, history kind. However, really? I mean, there are there like there are other things happening or at least we could break away from time to time to cover these things. They all said the same thing to me that they felt like, you know, they were losing brain cells, that the on-air talent was frustrated. So it it does beg the question. I'm not sure there's polling out there. I think that this reflects to me, it's the reason why I think networks are all scrambling to try to understand streaming and how do people consume information. And you and I are doing a podcast because we get frustrated that these topics don't get discussion time on, you know, popular sources of, of media. So it's, it's, we started this conversation with misinformation and we're ending it on like misinformation and the role of the media in that misinformation. And I think that's appropriate. It's a very timely theme. And uh, maybe we'll close out, Norm, this following week. Any hearing, anything that you've got your site set on, anything that you're going to be paying attention to that we can preview for listeners? There are a couple of things looming. I mean, one is we may still be a distance away, but we're seeing nothing happening, as best I can tell, on the surface or elsewhere about the looming debt ceiling crisis. We are going to get in the next couple of weeks. Biden's budget. It will be the first budget and it will put pressure on McCarthy and Republicans who have had nothing to say about any specifics other than having the previous budget director under Trump come out with a budget that he laughably said would be balanced in 10 years by cutting all of these domestic programs on the grounds that they're woke. And it's the, you know, the only word they know and they have no idea what it means other than critical race theory. Uh, You know, they'll either say CRT or woke as their attack line. So I'll see if anything else emerges that gives me either more confidence that we might avert utter catastrophe or uh, even less. The other thing is I'm still looking to see what continuing fallout we have from Norfolk Southern and the train disaster, which is, of course, you know, been the Republican talking point has been going after Pete Buttigieg. But what we're now seeing is in this community more signs of potential health issues and health issues that may be there for a very long period of time. And whether we're going to have any fallout from that, including whether, and this is a larger question, there will be a change in attitude towards government safety regulations that emerge. After we're seeing, this sort of uh, was like lifting up a rock on the railroads, all having huge ties in Washington and making sure that no regulation that would impede them has taken effect. And we've got another big railroad merger coming up, which would make it even more challenging to do anything to provide safety uh, for what you know, we used to think was the safest mode of transportation around. You know, you could be safe on a train where you couldn't, driving a car with trucks on the road, being in an airplane. Now we've got real questions and will we see some action? Yeah. And I do think that there's going to be more and more, again, as we talked about in our previous pod, that there's going to be more information uncovered, not just about the health impact, the the report that has, you know, the initial report to your point about findings around how this could have been averted. This is just, I hate to say it, this is unfortunately not our only disaster that we've seen, but it's already 
triggered a lot of the questions about what is the monitoring that needs to be put in place for the health of the community. How do you actually accurately do that? Because it's been shown in history that what we don't know what the, um, even though we know that most of these chemicals generally do not stick, quote, linger around the effects on animals and, and plants is something that we have seen can be caught years later. And then people who have health consequences from it, well, lo and behold, their insurance won't cover it because it's not a known kind of entity. And so anyway, we can go on and on. So yeah, I'm keeping, I will say that um, for my part, I'm keeping an eye. Bernie Sanders has been doing a great job as the chair, the new chair of the Health Education, Labor and Pensions Committee, doing just an incredible job of getting hearing after hearing with like great topics. And he's bringing in everything from drug executives, community health centers to talk about the infrastructure, the safety net. And then also, to be honest, people like the Starbucks CEO to talk about the lack of like health insurance and benefits for employees and I think great topics. So whatever you want to say about Bernie Sanders, he is bringing it and taking no punches or taking no, you know, holding, holding uh, no punches back on some of the topics that uh, you and I have been talking about for years. So we should, we should add uh, what is really a triumph for Bernie and for others that Eli Lilly announced this week that they would limit the cost of insulin to $35 is, I think, a potentially enormous game changer in the health of the society, given how many people rely on insulin and how much of a health challenge and monetary challenge uh, is diabetes. It is. I'm going to say something about that. They didn't, far be it for me, I do not have like firsthand knowledge of like the inner workings of the Lilly executive team or the board, but it didn't shock me that Lilly, there's three major manufacturers of insulin in the, in the world, and Sanofi, Nova Nordisk, and Lilly. Lily is responsible for about 30 to 40% of the market share of the largest insulin products, branded and non-branded. But Lily, if you look at their lead, all you have to do is look at the latest earnings report for any organization to understand motivations. And their earnings report for their blockbuster drug called Manjaro, which I prescribed for patients, it's indicated for diabetes, but has had this incredible side effect of dramatic weight loss. And it is one of the very popular kind of drugs that are being you know, reviewed by the FDA to use for, for primarily for weight loss because it's so effective. People lose on average 10 to 15% of their body weight, which is incredible. Because of that, they expect potentially over the next 10 years, a trillion dollar market in that drug alone. And so if you're sitting there as an executive and you're getting hearing after hearing, and then you've already got legislation that pushes the price of insulin down for Medicare, that's done. That was passed in the IRA. That absolutely is the kind of motivation for an executive to say, hey, you know what? We're not going to make that much money off of insulin, but hey, we're going to get a lot of money on this other drug. So let's do something nice. Let's be the first out of the gate. Brilliant move. It will make a difference, especially for uninsured people, that they will feel the benefits of this the most. But a lot of people have asked me, like, you know, is this kind of pressure going to trickle? And I said, it's not, because most of the other drug companies don't have like a trillion dollar drug in their portfolio. I mean, this is like a, once in a lifetime kind of thing that, you know, they didn't, they didn't expect that this wasn't a drug that was studied for weight loss. So I'm not trying to put shade on what, what they did, but everything is in context. So just a reminder, <laughs> just, just a reminder for people. <laughs> well, I'm now, I'm now looking forward to my weight loss. This is you sh- I, I have, uh, <laughs> we could do, we could do a series, you know, probably not the words matter topic, but it is a very interesting debate and discussion because what we're learning about weight 
not shocking to me who have gone through my own like weight journey is that a lot of it has to do with chemicals in our brain that wire us to crave food. I mean, it's not, it's, there is a very basal element of insulin and you kind of hear people talk about insulin resistance and diabetes and prediabetes. True, true, true. There's a very poorly understood, and I think Norm, you'll appreciate this. It's why you and I have talked about mental health not being like above the neck. It's because there's so much about our brain that we do not understand and that regulates absolutely everything in our body. And so layer on top of that, you know, depression, food craving, substance use. It's you can see why there's there's more attention that needs to be paid, not just to diseases like a medical, you know, obesity, but the, the relationship between obesity and mood disorders and, and menopause and anyway. All right. So that's, that is taking listeners down another podcast that we probably should do, but don't have time to do yeah, right definitely now. definitely should do that. Yes. I know it is. It is. So I want to thank everyone for listening and joining us. If you enjoyed this incredible journey through probably every topic that you would have not expected in one podcast, we would love for you to like the episode, share it with friends, and just keep us in mind uh, and try to join as a member so you can join our next conversation around another hearing that we were tracking this week around the Equal Rights Amendment. Words Matter is a production of the DSR Network. Executive producer of the DSR Network is Chris Cottenhorn. Our amazing producer of this show is Grant Haver. Our next episode will be in your feeds on March 9th, and we'll see you then. Bye.